Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sex, Love, and Addiction. I know you're here for the right reasons. I know why you're here. And I'm so grateful that so many people are finding meaning in the work that we're doing here. And so I have another meaningful guest to bring you. Let me tell you a little bit about Ken Page. Ken Page is a clinical social worker. He's a renowned psychotherapist and really a leading voice of hope and wisdom for those who are seeking and to find and cultivate healthy and lasting love. He's the host of Deeper Dating Podcast and co-founder of DeeperDating.com and author of the best-selling book, Deeper Dating, How to Drop the Games of Seduction and the Power of Intimacy. He's also creator of a whole course on uh, deeper dating and healthy intimacy in new relationships. And we're going to talk about all that and how to get a hold of Ken once we get started. So welcome, Ken. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you in this conversation, Rob. Well, let me just tell you, you are here just to say it for over half a million people who have downloaded this podcast and continue to about 10,000 a week. It's wonderful that people are listening and lots of people are going to hear you. And I think a big question that comes up for many of the people that I work with, you know, we're a lot of times when we're, we're working with struggling couples or struggling individuals, they're often, you know, in a coupleship already and they're struggling with that or the effects of their behavior in the coupleship. But there are those folks who come to get help and support who aren't dating, don't know how to date, haven't been dating, have mostly sought out sex when they were dating, have run away from dating, and they don't get enough information, I don't think, from us about how to go about what they really want to do in terms of building an attached, meaningful relationship. So you're here to tell us what is that process for single people, especially single people in recovery, to negotiate that landscape of, of being single. Yes, you know, and that list, that litany of uh, painful dating situations that you described, I would raise my hand for every single one of them <laughs> um, in my past and, and for decades, for decades. So this journey for me has come out of my pain as well as my desire to teach. I was such a bad dater. My friends, my dear friends <laughs> would all agree that I was the most type-bound and limited dater that they knew. Okay, wait, I got to ask you something. What, what does it mean you're a bad dater? Because, you know, people are going to say, well, I think I'm a bad dater, but, you know, what does he mean? So I only wanted to date people who were a bunch younger than me. I wanted to date people who were like cocky and tough, the antithesis of what I experienced myself as. Unavailability was really sexy and availability made me feel like I was suffocating. Or bored. 
Yes, both. Both. Absolutely. At what point did you say, and we're going to talk about you a little bit before we talk about how you get into this work because it's so meaningful for you. When did you begin to acknowledge what your friends were saying? Like, yeah, I don't think I get this dating thing right. Did that just come all at once or did it come after a really bad dating experience? Or how did you get to, I think we all need some help with this? Well, yeah, let me say something about my journey around that. You know, I knew I was a bad dater. It was me who initiated those conversations with my friends. I would say, do you think I'm like the worst dater you know? And they'd be like, yeah, I do. So I was I was very aware of this. And, you know, people would say to me, Ken, you know, you've been talking about looking for love and looking for love um, for like a really long time, but you're always single. So I don't think you really mean it. Mm. And I would look at them and know that they did not understand. They were wrong because I deeply, deeply wanted love, but I was stuck in patterns that pushed love away while I was looking for it. So I was very humbled by this. And when I began my therapy journey, I realized that was when everything started to change. And I realized I had to become a student of what I was doing wrong. I had to not only face it, I had to take it apart and understand it so I could find the way out. And I really devoted myself to that for years. Because you wanted to have a relationship. There's a, motiva- a motivator there as well as dealing with your own stuff. But you wanted an endpoint. This wasn't just like working on depression. You actually had a reason for wanting to work this out. And I had a double reason. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm a teacher. And at that point, I was leading very large retreats for gay men. And uh, I was hungry to teach and they were hungry to learn. So I knew that everything I learned was going to be a gift to them. And it was really in my le- in my teaching that I did so much of my best learning because I felt motivated to help other people at the same time. Let me just ask you really quickly before you continue, you know, lots of folks here and they will have their own feelings about, well, you will get dismissed. Oh, well, he's a gay guy. Everything he has to say now about dating. Well, that's just his world. That's just men. And um, I guess I have to say, you know, I know that that's no true because 90% of the people I treat are heterosexual, but, or whatever they are. But nonetheless, can you speak to that really quickly? Like, I, I want to go back to your journey, but is there something people should be concerned about? Like, oh, well, he does this so he can't understand us. Well, you know, I am an out gay man who teaches to a universal audience. Like you, most of my audience is heterosexual. So I truly believe that when your listeners hear the points that I make, they will relate again and again and again. I think the universality of what I'm going to be talking about will touch everyone where they live. So it's really about dating and love and connection. And yes, there are differences between the genders, but when it comes down to what we all want, we want the same thing and we need to find our way there. And the ways that we flee love are also, it's like its like fingerprints, right? Like we all have fingerprints. They're very similar, but they're unique, but they're also universal. And there are universal patterns that happen that I had to face and that now I've kind of developed ways around from that really humbling experience. And that's, that's what I teach. So that was what I had to really face. And getting back to my journey at a certain point, I still had not found a partner. I was teaching this stuff and something shifted for me and my journey to intimacy took a different direction. I felt called to become a dad. And this pull was huge and vast, so deep. When it happened for me, I was watching Almodovar's uh, All About My Mother, which is a story about a mom who found a through line through her suffering 
by by giving and by parenting. Anyway, after that movie, I just I said to my friend, I said, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I'm feeling something really strange and I need to be alone. <laughs> so I moved to the corner of the movie theater and I stood there <laughs> and the revelation shook me and I came back to him. I said, I want to be a dad. <gasps> and so I adopted my son nine months later as an infant from Cambodia which ended up leading to me meeting my husband. But that's the thing is that the intimacy journey is so unique for each of us. But the bottom line is this, and nobody teaches us this, the skills of dating are nothing more than the skills of intimacy. And those are the greatest skills of all for a happy life. And for those of us who are in recovery, interestingly, those skills of recovery are in very powerful ways the deepest and greatest skills of intimacy. So Ken, I think what you're saying is if you can master what you have to do about dating, if you master the process, the complexity, the the whatever it is that you have to put into being a really good, available, curious dater, that you're saying all that translates into the relationship later? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because these are the skills of intimacy. And I was speaking with a very renowned researcher about this, and he was saying there's a bunch of research, obviously, on couples. There's a lot of research on matches and how to make matches, but there's almost no research on how do you date in such a way that's going to lead to good matches. And those are the deeper skills of intimacy. Let's be really concrete. Tell me more. Well, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to take a map and we're going to start out with an inch equals 100 miles, and then we're going to get down to the nitty gritty concrete. But I'm going to offer a simple, simple map of the intimacy journey that everyone can take with them and use. So what I'd like you to do to get a picture of this map is to imagine a target, a target of concentric rings with a bullseye in the middle kind of target that you shoot arrows at. And this is a map of your authenticity. So if you picture that the further you move outward in this target, the further away you get from your authentic self, the more airbrushed you are, the more defended you are, the more people-pleasing, the more you push intimacy away, the more you're a kind of constructed self as opposed to a true self. And now picture, as you move closer to the center of the target, that's you becoming more authentic, more true. And the further in you get, the closer you are to the beating heart of your humanity. And when you get into the center, that's where your greatest pain is. It's where your greatest tenderness is, your greatest passion, and your greatest joy this is the arena of what I call your core gifts, but it's not so simple because those parts of us are so powerful and so vulnerable, and they're the places we get hurt the most. These are the inmost petals of our being. So what we do is we create a self that is protected, that is airbrushed, where we won't get hurt in those deepest places. And the further out you move in the target from that true self, the safer you'll feel, but then the emptier you'll feel, the more lost you will feel. The closer in you get, the more you'll feel the ferocity of your own authenticity, but you'll feel your vulnerability, your passion, and your tenderness. This is where your core gifts live. And your core gifts are the key to being able to find and hold and tolerate real intimacy. So what are some of those core gifts? 
So I have a question about that, Ken, before we go on. You know, most of the people I know, to be honest with you, they're always trying to put their best self forward. You know, I want them to see, and that's natural in dating, right? I don't want them to see who all the mess that I am when I'm on my third date. I want them to see the most loving, caring, you know, beautiful version of me, so they'll fall in love with that. But what you're saying is that that isn't really real. And when we're looking for that, that isn't really real either. How does that jive together, uh, putting your best self forward kind of? Yeah, well, you totally do want to put your best self forward, your kindest, most available, most honest, best listening self, without a doubt. And that doesn't disagree with this, but the qualities that have made you feel kind of the most insecure, the ones you feel the most timid to reveal, and I don't mean things from your life you know, that happen that are embarrassing or difficult. I mean qualities of sensitivity, qualities of deep tenderness, qualities of need qualities of dependence, qualities of intensity, all of those kind of qualities that you've been taught are either to make you too much or make you not enough. Those actually are the places of your greatest and deepest gifts. Your greatest and deepest insecurities actually reveal your greatest gifts. And if you look at the parts of yourselves that you hide because they're so tender or so fierce, or so different, those are actually your intimacy genius. And where we've been taught we need to cover those parts of ourselves when we date, the truth is we need to learn, it's an internal journey first, to name those gifts and to embrace them. And when we do that, our dating life changes. I hear your words, and to me, it feels like I'm in church. You know, like I'm listening to the sermon. I'm like, yes, that's what I want. That's where I want to be. But I'm afraid I'm going to leave church when we're done and not know what to do. And so I'm not asking you to be concrete exactly, but can you give us an example of bringing your most intimate self? What does that look like on a date? And I don't want to push you forward here, but I just want to backtrack a little bit. No, it's great. It's a great question. Yeah. So, okay. A few things there. So you're on a date. There's a journey first. And the journey is, I believe, and this is an inner journey. And it's something I teach, you know, in all my work. It's you need to put names on these core gifts, on these qualities of yours. And there's a simple but really kind of exciting and challenging exercise you could do. It's going to take you two days. And when you finish these two days, you're going to know so much more about what your core gifts are. Here's what it is. You keep a journal for two days and you note the things that hurt you and you note the things that fill your heart. Now, these things, the things that fill our heart, we usually, you know, it might be that you're at a grocery store and uh, you see somebody kind of being extra kind to an old person in front of you. Your heart's kind of filled. Or you're with someone and they say something really honest or truthful. Your heart is filled. Notice the things that fill your heart and take a moment to think, what does this say about what matters to me? So are you talking, Ken, about that? It sounds like you're talking about values, but you're, you're kind of talking about emotional values or something. So that's how I put it together. Very much so. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yes, your core gifts are your deepest emotional values. And you know them by the things that hurt you the most and touch you the most. And when you find yourself in a situation where you're really touched by something and the people around you are not necessarily that touched, you're hitting a core gift. The other thing that you're going to do in these two days is you're going to notice the things that hurt your heart, that cause you pain. And you're going to look at those and say, what does this say? Because we get the hurt, most hurt around the things that matter the most to us. 
you'll notice that for you in a relationship, when there's a certain level of dishonesty, it actually hurts. When there's maybe a level of lack of, that'll tell you something about your love of truth. Or maybe when there's like a kind of like day-to-day mundane lack of generosity that no one else seems to notice, but it hurts you. That speaks to a core gift of yours, a quality where generosity really matters. And after two days of noticing and honoring and dignifying what hurts you and what fills your heart, you will know worlds more about the things that matter most and what your core gifts are. So I'm starting with that. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. You know, I have a question about that because I'm listening and listening and what I'm hearing is something that's so different than many of us do when we're dating, which is you're asking us to focus on ourselves. You're asking me to focus on how I feel, what I, how I respond, how I'm listening, you know, not, I think most of us date by, oh, look at them or do I like them? Are they nice? Are they, and a lot of our focus is on the other person or how our experiences with them in that way of them. But you're saying, what about your experience of you? Because that's what's going to ring when you're with the right person. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So then when you when you know these kind of most sensitive or most kind of precious parts of you, and, and the, the brilliant theorist Winnicott said, we all have a true self and we create a false self around that to protect ourselves. And we would often, in many cases, actually rather die then reveal that true self because its protection is that important to us. When you start to honor these parts of yourselves, you don't need to hide them as much. And fear of rejection actually starts to diminish, which is another kind of exciting byproduct. So let's get back to this date, right? I'll use myself as an example. I get really passionate and enthusiastic about things. That's something I've been shamed for a lot. I have learned to treasure it and to show it. Another quality of mine is I'm, I, I kind of, I can be pretty fierce, but I have a really tender, soft heart. And that's something I have been very ashamed of and had to learn to treasure and to honor. So if I was single and I was going out on a date, I wouldn't have to push those things forward, but I would show them and I would keep an eye open. Does the person get it? They don't have to be like me, but they have to create a safe space. And on that date, I'd be asking myself, in addition to the questions of, am I attracted? Is this person attracted to me? I would ask another profound question, and it would be my primary question. As I get to know this person, does my soul feel safe with them? Does my deep heart feel safe with them? When you make that your question, you turn the whole axis of your search for love. So these are some things that kind of honor these core gifts and have you date somewhat differently in the process. Another piece that I'll mention that's huge, huge is, you know, this humbling truth that we are all afraid of intimacy. If we're breathing, we have fear of intimacy. So- <laughs> 
I'm sorry, Ken. I thought there were those people out there who just, they grew up in healthy families. They absolutely knew how to be intimate and they just put it into their lives. Are you saying it's not like that? I really thought it was. There are other people who knew how to do it right. I do think that a lot of people knew how to do it better than I did it. That's for damn sure. Some (laughs) people are better at this stuff. But for those of us who keep chasing unavailable people or people who, you know, maybe have like, you know, abusive patterns or toxic patterns, for those of us who have a history of that, when someone is kind and decent and available and safe comes into our orbit, we're going to have these reactions of wanting to get away or push them away. So that's why we need to know our flight patterns. All of us, if you really want to find love, one of the most powerful things you can do is admit to yourself how you're fleeing love, even as you're looking for love. And what does that mean exactly? Because, so I, I'll tell you what I, you know, I want to find a date. I want a date. I'm looking all over the place. I don't like this person. How, if you told me that I was running from something rather than running toward it, I would say, well, what do you mean? I've been working so hard. I've dated half the United States. So how, what exactly, you know, can you explain that more? Yeah, well, I'll give an example, and it's an example of me, and it's a kind of like much less wonderful version of looking for love than you described. But so I remember years ago in my painful singlehood, endless painful chronic singlehood, I was talking with a very smart friend of mine and she stopped in the street and she said, Ken, you know why you're single? And I said, "Uh, Mindy, uh, no, I do not know why I'm single. And she said, because you are looking for people in clubs and through hookups, and you are not going to places and events that are basically for people who share your values. And she said, that's why. And when you start doing that, things will change. And I just thought that is the most boring solution I ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to meet somebody in church? I want to meet somebody who's exciting. Yeah. So that's one way. That's one way is where we look. The other way that we avoid intimacy is something that I call swipe circuitry. So if you're on a swiping app, which by the way, you know, is clinically proven to increase depression and anxiety for a vast amount of users because it's it's built to almost do that. So you're on you're on a, a swiping app and you swipe, 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 swiping, but you're not slowing down to get to know who the human being is. When you're in that disconnected circuitry, you're gonna make bad choices. You are gonna choose your scratch the itch type. And usually our scratch the itch type is not a type that is good for us. You are not looking for inspiration. You're not looking for, does my soul feel safe? These apps make it hard to do that, but it's becoming more and more possible. You're looking for, is this person hot? Is this person super sexy? So Ken, I think, you know, the apps provide, you know, if you're talking about scratching an itch, the apps are going to do that for the short term in the moment, at least not the dating apps, but the, the more ones that are more focused on sex. But what you're saying is, is in a way that takes you away from what you want, because it's a distraction. It's a time waste. You're really not bringing your full self forward and working on this. You're just showing up superficially. So it might be a little bit fun once in a while, but if you're really looking for meaning, you're just not going to find it there. I actually think you can find it there. I think you can find it on Tinder. I think you can find it on Grindr. But you have to go against the current that is asking you to gamify, disconnect from your emotions, look for something quick and easy. The the thing is that I I think Tinder has something like 186,000 swipes every second, Uh, something like that. I want someone in my life. Yes, yes, yes. Or if not, I want someone to scratch the itch or fill the hole. Mm -hmm. What 
online dating does brilliantly is it allows you to find matches, but it doesn't allow you and it doesn't help you to find good matches. You've got to shift that process around. I just want to say something about that because, you know, back in the day, and maybe you, I think you relate to this, we would go to a bar. We would go to a place where we didn't know a whole lot of people and we'd date someone, but we didn't know anything about them except that they were attracted to us. And now I think what you're saying is you get to know, is someone like to ski? Do they like dogs? Do they have friends? And you get to narrow the the field just simply by having that information that you never could have had in the old days when we dated like that. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why that I and my husband have devoted the last few years to actually creating a platform that incubates intimacy through the matching, because it's something I so deeply believe in. What it means is that you start out on deeperdating.com by filling out a profile that is a profile that captures your values your deeper values. It's a very robust profile. And then you meet using like cutting edge technology to create simple intimacy. People gather in circles and they answer questions like, talk about a pet you've loved. Talk about someone, a friend of yours who really makes you laugh. Talk about an item in your house that has a lot of meaning for you. When people do that together, they soften, their defenses soften, they begin to glow, they begin to notice. That's how love is found. That's how we drop down into a circuitry of warmth and decency and connectedness. So we create an environment of that kind of safety and inspiration. And then there's a platform afterwards where people can meet and interact for as long as they want in many different ways together. But it starts with warmth, safety, and fun. And, and I believe that if a dating platform doesn't do that, it's going to actually make us present a colder form of ourselves. And that colder form of ourselves is going to make much less wonderful choices. I'm excited. If I were single, I would jump on it. But I want to say you and I, you know, our journey and believe me, I was just as lonely and miserable and scared and dating all the wrong people as you, you know, I've been married for 20 years. You've been married for 14 so whatever it is that we've been able to do, it, it is possible. I just want to give people hope. I dated aimlessly and miserably for many, many years. I was in that darkness. I think, Ken, you're talking about that too. And it is not a hopeless journey. I think, like Ken said, it's much more about we're just not, we don't fully understand how to play the game. And we're only playing it by the rules and the ways that we understand. But what Ken is laying out is a whole different way, a more vulnerable way to play the game of dating. And I have a couple of questions for you while we're talking about this. One is I work with a lot of men. And if I were a man listening to this uh, who had not been in recovery, who maybe was not particularly in touch with my feelings, I would think, you know, this is really touchy-feely stuff. And I don't see what that has to do with dating. And a lot of those men, if I had a visual on them, I would describe them as porcupines. So soft, so fuzzy on the inside, that stuff you're talking about, but lots of quills on the outside that are going to nip you and hurt you. And, you know, if you try to reach inside... So how do you say to a guy like that, and there are lots of gentlemen like that, no, you really have to look, and do have to look inside. You really can't just look at their, her this and his that. How do you tell somebody who's not on that journey how to get on it? Oh, that's a really powerful point and a really true point. My thought is, who doesn't like to get a gift? And who does not like to recognize that they have a gift? 
And that's why the, the journey in that is both inviting and powerful is through recognizing your deepest gifts. And lo and behold, those deepest gifts are under the quills. And to understand them as gifts, to understand that these very things are your intimacy genius and you've got it. And the minute you can name them, you're going to change the kind of people you meet. This is a breathtaking thing. I just have to say this formula. And I think that anyone would want to hear this, but it's a formula that I have really found to be true. The degree to which we treasure and cherish and dignify our core gifts, not just accept them, but treasure them and honor them is the degree to which we're going to end up being sexually and romantically attracted to people who are good for us. The degree to which we're ashamed of those gifts or don't know how to show them the stuff under the quills, to that degree, we're going to be sexually and attracted and romantically attracted to people who aren't good for us, with whom it's not going to work. You know, it's so interesting that you said that right there, Ken, because what I'm thinking is how many people I know who are past the dating stage, they're into the, you know, they're living together, they're into the excitement of it. It's been nine months, it's been a year, everything's exciting, you know, the sex is great, I can't stop talking about them. But then as they really start to get to know each other, someone will back away, they'll get bored, they'll start judging the other person, they'll see reasons why they shouldn't be with them. And I think, I'm pretty sure what they're really saying is, I'm starting to get scared. And I might start have to do some of what you're saying, Ken, which is to let you know parts of me that I that are scary or uncomfortable or you're going to overwhelm me or whatever. So I will just inch away from you rather than opening up to what it is. And I find that a lot. And I wonder if you have just a thought about that. Oh, I really, really, really do, because that is exactly what kept me single for decades. That was what happened. What I call this is the wave of distancing. And it never gets talked about, but it is, I believe, the single greatest saboteur of healthy new love that exists on this planet. What it is, is exactly that. When someone starts appearing that like they're available, they're decent, and they're not going anywhere, and they're interested, all of a sudden, they're a lot less sexy. All of a sudden, you notice like their laugh is annoying or- They're farting. Yes, they're farting. They're farting. They have nose hairs that stick out. Whatever it is, whatever it is, or um, all of a sudden you just want to go back to the thrill of the hunt. Now, most of us, I think about two-thirds of us have this to some significant degree. And for me, I was crippled by it. So because we just have a little bit of time left, I want to offer the solution that I discovered that changed my life. It's not an easy solution, but it's it works. So I call it the wave of distancing because it's like a wave. It hits you, it slams you, it knocks you off balance, and then it goes away. What it is, is a spasm of fear, and you want to be able to help it allow itself to pass. How do you do that? In two ways. One, you don't flee. You do not flee as much as you might think, oh God, I'm so screwed up. I can't even love an available person or you know whatever, which God knows I thought for so long. You don't flee. The other thing you do is you give yourself space to understand that trauma is happening. There is a spasm of fear, and you're protecting yourself by, by devaluing the other person. So what do you do then? You just give it a little space. Maybe your next date was going to be like, you know, a romantic dinner at home and then maybe sex. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not ready for that. So instead, you go to a movie and you hold hands or you go for a walk 
the minute you allow a little bit of air and oxygen and distance, the fear begins to relieve to some degree. And I just mentioned briefly, Ken, that one of the things that I, I tell a lot of folks is, and this is right along with what you're saying, is if you're feeling fearful and distant and finding yourself judging someone that you spend a long, enjoyable time with while dating, I think you need to tell them. Like, you know, sometimes tonight I'm feeling a little distant. I really care about you. Sometimes I get a little this way, you know, and don't take it personally. And we'll just hang out here. And I think, and what I've noticed is that it gets better because instead of trying to pretend that I'm really into this and I don't want them to be disappointed that I'm being, I can just tell them. And if I feel a bit of distance, and by the way, that's intimate, right? Because if they say, what do you mean you feel distant? Well, that's something to tell me about the relationship. And if they say, wow, tell me more about that. I feel that way sometimes too. Then you've kind of got a winner. You know it, Rob. You know it. That's beautiful. Yep, exactly. That's a powerful technique to do the same thing, to just create some space because that pressure kills Eros. So I love what you're saying. And I had to do that about a million times with my husband over and over because I had the wave so badly and it didn't go away for a few years, actually. It d dissipated. But, but yeah, I love what you're saying. So those two techniques. You give yourself space and you don't flee. Something amazing is almost always going to happen. The wave is going to pass. And when it passes, you will actually, your affection will come back and you will actually have a clearer sense of if they might be right for you. You'll be looking at them like, why was I judging them? They're so yes. wonderful just a day or two later once the fear passes. Hey, listen, we have to stop. I have two things. One is I want to ask everyone how to reach you and how to join the work that you do. But also, um, I would love to talk to you again and translate all this into relationships, because I honestly don't hear a lot in this conversation that wouldn't be applicable to people who've been together a long time, who have not allowed themselves to truly be intimate, and they really want to grow something meaningful for the couple. It may not be so much in the choosing, but it, in, in the self-revelation and the observation and the focus on yourself, I think there could be a lot in relationships around all this too. Would you be willing to come back and talk about this in terms of couples that are already established? Rob, I love speaking with you. And I think that sounds so exciting and so important. And I'm going to have you on my podcast to do that as well. So 100% yes, I would love to. So tell folks, um, first of all, how to just drop you a note, how to find you, how to find what you've written, and more important, is there a website where they can look at your work and decide if that's something they want to be part of? Absolutely. So I'm going to start with uh, the single folks and tell you that you can go or tell people you love who are looking for a relationship to just go to deeperdating.com. And there, especially because we're just launching, everything is free in terms of connecting with people online. And then we also have these events that you can do as well, which are a separate thing. So, so go to deeperdating.com and join that experience. That's something that's really exciting to us. If you want to know more about my overall work, I have a podcast, Deeper Dating Podcast. So just go to deeperdatingpodcast.com and you can uh, hear tons of episodes about all of these things and uh, learn more. And then if you want to actually do the deeper work of this process, you could get my book, which is called Deeper Dating, and that's available everywhere. 
Or when you go to my podcast, I have a course that is an audio and video course that's kind of a, a much deeper personal dive that I guide you through this whole process. So those are all the ways that people can reach me. And you know, you can send me emails through any of those platforms, deeperdatingpodcast.com or deeperdating.com. You know, Ken, I just have to say before we stop that this has been one of the easiest podcasts I've ever done oh. because you're so articulate and you have such passion for what you're doing. And I think you're so deeply connected to it that I think I just turn on the mic and say, you go <laughs> because you, and you do what, and what is the name of your podcast again? Is it Deeper Dating? Deeper Dating Podcast. Yeah. yeah the name of it is Deeper Dating. Yeah. I hope all you single folks are going to turn around and put this down and pick that up. And, uh, and I look forward again to talking to Ken Page. I, I think we walk in the same shoes and yeah. uh, I feel the pain and the challenge. And I just hope that like the lessons that we've had to learn in this process, that we can pass on a little bit of that to the people we serve. Thank you, Ken. I love that. Thank you, Rob. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.